0: Welcome to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley Scott of Denver Seminary. What are the challenges we face in today's church and culture in a postmodern, post-Christian era? Dr. Haley believes that in addressing those issues, the church must adopt a missional mindset. Christianity does hold the answers to the big questions of today's culture. Let's join Dr. Haley for today's edition of Christian Curious. In a time
1: of social distancing, how do you keep relationships strong? This is Christian Curious with Dr. Haley. This pandemic has impacted our relationships with not only family, friends and colleagues, but also relationships at our local church. As the director of the Young Adult Initiative at Denver Seminary, I've seen many churches struggle to adapt to the new world of social distancing. Young adults, often called the unluckiest generation, need the church now more than ever, but they, like everyone else, are experiencing Zoom fatigue. In a time of social distancing, we are socially exhausted. While restrictions on social distancing continue to ease around the world, we can safely say that some form of social distancing is going to remain with us for some time to come. How can we best continue to nurture our relationships. Today, I'm so excited to have Rick Lawrence back with us to talk about ministering during a pandemic and even after the pandemic. Rick is an award-winning author, journalist, cultural researcher, editor, and national speaker. He's been the executive editor of Group Magazine for 32 years. He's the general editor and chief contributor of the groundbreaking and number one best-selling Jesus-Centered Bible and author of the recently released books, The God Who Fights for You, Spiritual Grit, and The Jesus-Centered Life. He's married to Beverly Rose and has a 21-year-old daughter named Lucy Rose and a 17-year-old daughter named Emma Grace. Welcome back to Christian Curious, Rick.
2: Thank you, Haley. Rick,
1: as I just mentioned, I've watched so many churches struggle to adapt to ministry in a time of social distancing. Why do you think this is so hard for uh, so many
0: churches?
2: Yeah, that's a great question, um, and I, I've seen it from my own perspective, my national perspective, overlooking young adult and student ministry. Um, there there are, are uh, so many churches that are just that, – that the common thing that I hear is I'm working like twice as hard than before this pandemic hit because I'm trying to adapt to a new reality that um, isn't easily adapted to. Um, and one reason – this is going to sound – uh, unimpressed, so I apologize in advance, but when we talk about churches, what we are thinking about is uh, ministries, but they are also, they also have a business model, meaning they, they have a way of existing, and that way of existing has been hugely disrupted. Only, uh, according to, a, a, I think, a recent Barna study, only six percent of churches in America right now are at or above their their budgeted giving. Wow. That means 94% of churches are below. And uh that they're they're struggling. I have I happen to go to a church that is in that 6%. So I've had some uh kind of close-up view of what a church that is able to pivot in the midst of this, what what it's doing to do that. But 94% of churches are really struggling with this because it has completely disrupted their quote unquote business model of how they, how they function. So of course, many of them are laying off uh, staff positions um, and contracting in order to adapt to what's happened to them. And they're trying to figure out ways to now transition back into some form of face-to-face and, uh, it's so difficult if you think about the typical church experience. My, in my own church experience early on in the pandemic, uh, my wife is immune compromised, so we, were, we had our antenna way up. But before there was any stay-at-home order or anything like that, we went to church, and I had my wife sit on the outside edge of the row. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I said, don't, don't hug anyone, don't touch anyone, and then we'll just leave as soon as it's done. Well, there were some people who just insisted on still hugging because, you know, it hadn't quite set in yet. And then when everything was over, uh, unfortunately, as soon as we had to get out into that aisle, she was just crowded around with people. Yeah. So if you think about all of the little things that have to change, um, it's, it's just so disruptive to the sort of physically close idea that we have about churches. So... It's uh, People are, though, uh, amazingly creative and adaptive. It's uh, astonishing to see the creativity also that is coming out of this.
1: You know, not to dis- disparage or uh, denigrate any churches, but can you compare and contrast a little bit about what your church has done differently to maybe—I love the word pivot. I use that all the time, and— um, mm. So what has your church done differently to remain in that 6%? Yeah,
2: the, um, a couple of just kind of basic things was that they had already established a very uh, natural culture of online giving, and that online giving would, was automatic. So mo- uh, the pastor would say every uh, every Sunday, uh, my church ha- is a small In size church, only 300 people can fit in the sanctuary, but it has five services because it's growing so much. And he would say at every single service, when it came time for the giving time, he would say something like, I know that most everyone in our church gives online, but, and then he would explain what was about to happen when they passed the the typical bucket. What he was saying is that in our church culture, that people had already been c- conditioned to uh, express their support of the church and do it in an automatic way. Like ev- like many other things in our life are automatic payments. They're doing that with the church. Yeah. So when it transitioned into this time, w- they were already set up for this kind of behavior, and so it carried over. Um, plus, early on, the pastor, I think the very first time he did his first Zoom stream, I mean his first streaming sermon he explained uh, that th- that the money coming into the church, they had a task force now that immediately started meeting to discuss how to redirect that money toward uh, ministry opportunities that were going to be necessary now. And he would explain them every Sunday. Here's what we're doing with this. Here's the decisions we're making. Um, so th- there was that. And uh, he is a naturally more interactive uh preacher i guess i would say he he does things he doesn't do well i'm a guest i I fill in for him sometimes at our church so i do actual interaction during my sermons because i can't help myself (laughs) so we do interactions with the congregation but he doesn't go that far but he almost gets there he does a lot of things that are much more engaging than just talking and so his style has also translated well onto video because it's not you're not just hearing the lecture uh, from him. So that, that's also part of it. Um, and at the time, the church was really growing by leaps and bounds. So they have the advantage of all, uh, existing momentum that carried them uh, over the bridge, of the, over this pandemic bridge.
1: So, you know, to summarize, you have automatic um, tithing already in place. You have clarity of communication from leaders and mm-hmm. the interactive, engaging style that probably results in significant uh, buy-in, um, emotional and spiritual buy-in towards the congregation, and then a existing momentum of church growth. So those were sort yeah, of people, the things that helped.
2: Yeah, and people stay because of relationships. Um, if what they're doing is coming to church to hear a good speaker, um, I, I've heard this from many ministry leaders around the country, they, there are large numbers of people that, if you're only coming to hear a good speaker, then after two or three weeks, let's go check out another good speaker from another church. Yeah, um, th- th- there, there's a lot of that happening, and it, it's happening because um, you can hear good speakers everywhere. <laughs> so it's really the relationships that keep you tied.
1: Yeah, you know, your approach to ministry, and it sounds like your pastor's approach to ministry, is is pretty interactive. And, you know, as we talked about last week, you know, that's extremely important in ministry to young adults. And I was wondering if you thought that perhaps other generations might be interested and responsive to the more interactive approach to ministry and to doing church.
2: Yeah, I can't remember um, when I said this to you, Haley, but it's really true for decades my approach with young people is the exact same approach I use with adults. I don't change anything. And that's somewhat controversial in the youth ministry world um, because in the youth ministry world, everything has to be adapted down to teenagers. The key word there is downed. Uh, yeah. If you ex- if you expect much of teenagers, they will meet that bar. I know that sounds like a cliche, but if you actually do it and you're fully convinced of it, they will. Um My teenagers often say something like, wow, this is hard. What I'm having them do uh, is, wow, this is really hard. And I'll just smile at them and say, yeah, it is, but I believe in you. And they come through. So for for adults, um, adults are actually harder with this method. It takes more time for them to uh, uh, adapt into this method because they have been so conditioned through life that there's only one person in the room who really knows the answer, and that's the leader. And so they, they have been conditioned through vulnerability that they will wait longer than kids do to start participating. They'll wait because they think you're just asking your question um, as a precursor, an on-ramp into you ta- telling them the right answer. Yeah. Which is a, which is a recipe for killing interaction. So I do stuff every week with adults as well, and um, it is I, I have to be more on my game with adults to open them up to this, but once they're open to it, they, they love it. All of us hate the first bar we have to overcome in vulnerability. When, when someone asks, hey, turn to the person next to you and talk about blank, um, all of us seize up inside uh, a little bit. We're like, oh, really? But once you step over that hurdle you, you never forget it. You're so grateful. That will be the thing you talk about to others when you come out of that experience. Oh, I had this conversation with this person. It's just that the leader's job is to make sure you urge them over that first hurdle. Right. And then you know what's going to happen after that. So that's my whole job is making sure that I uh, we persevere and push past that first initial pushback, especially with adults, until they – enter into the relationship and the conversation and then they love it so and it's not like once they've done that they're good every single time i have to do the same thing so so the idea is to make sure that uh what we're doing matches what jesus did to to the extent that we can and what he did 85 percent of the time was relational yeah so how can we creatively set environments that hinge on relational interaction and um, expect people to discover um, their their own insights that you can interact with
1: well, you know as you said what you what you're doing is asking people and pushing people to do hard things and you're calling them to a high bar and i've I've heard that before, and I intentionally picked a school for my daughters here in the Denver metro area that that sets a really high academic bar because they believe the same thing if you expect a lot they will reach for that and that's something that I've tried to instill in you know throughout you know my ministry and to my own children and you've written a book I love the word grit and you've written a book (laughs) spiritual grit and which talks about how to help people do hard things. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the things that you reveal in that book? And I think you also teach courses in that as well.
2: Yeah, let me uh, 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 loop back just real quick to one thing and then kind of dive into that. Um, so the, the, the one thing that I often get from people who come and experience what I do is uh, I, I, I led a, a whole three-day sort of coaching retreat in February called Reboot, which was on teaching ministry leaders how to use the skills of improvisation as a new ministry leadership strategy. Um, and it's the strategy that I've been living for a long time, but I'm trying to help people learn how to, how to do this. There are rules of improv, and if you learn how, how to become more comfortable in an un- improvisational environment, then your leadership can adopt adapt to uh, this methodology that I'm talking about much more easily and you become a master at it actually so but one pushback I often get when I show people or they uh, I show people are the group that I lead or they experience it is they'll say something like um, you must have the real like the cream of the crop young people in this mm-hmm. uh, because wow look at look at what they're saying and I always tell them we have young people that are all down the continuum from nominal believers to uh, really committed disciples, to uh, really great students at school, to really terrible students at school. We've had agnostics, atheists, all kinds of young people in our group, and I, and I tell them it doesn't matter where you're at on the maturity scale if you use this, this kind of way of engaging. It doesn't matter yeah. because everyone can dig and discover no matter what level you're at. So I try to dispel that feeling that hard or expecting a lot is only for the really high achievers. I think that's bunk. Yeah. Um, um, so that, that's a little precursor. So I, <laughs> uh, the, the book Spiritual Grit, um, I, I, uh, it came out of Angela Duckworth's groundbreaking book about grit. Um, and uh, I loved that book. I loved what she had to say. But there was a gap. Um, her, in her world, uh, uh, One of the things she says, Angela Duckworth says about her own research, is um, here's why grit is so important. And I can write a whole book for you about why it's so important. I'm at a loss to tell you how to develop it. Um, In her first TED Talk, when she described the research into grit, she came right out and said that. Um, I'm at a loss as to tell you how to develop that. And the reason she's at a loss for it is because the only way you develop grit is through hardship. And no one wants to introduce hardship into someone else's life, except for Jesus, (laughs) who has no problem introducing hardship into people's lives. And so if you look at the story of Jesus and his encounters through the filter of um, grit, you could read Jesus by, by observing how does he make this situation harder for this person, even when he's rescuing them or healing them, like the man born blind. Um, why does he smear mud on the spit mud on his face and then ask him to find his own way outside of town to a pool and then wash there he could have healed him right in the moment so he's healing him but he's also injecting some hardship into that man's life why and i I think that the answer to that is jesus loves us (laughs) he wants us to develop strength because he needs us there are so many needs in the world and those needs won't be met unless he is developing strength in us to go into those dark caves around the world. So Spiritual Grit is a book about what grit is and what its limitations are and how, how we can—what uh, what our relationship with Jesus would look like when we're um, accessing and sharing in his strength. Um, even right now, almost every day, I'm saying to myself and, and to Jesus— My grit, Jesus, remember, has a very limited capacity. I need your strength. I need to reconnect with you, reattach with you to get your strength. So the book is an exploration of what does it mean to access the strength of Jesus and then practice it, live it out.
1: Right. Well, you know, in the scriptures, you know, he says to expect hardship. You know, in this world you will have trouble. And he tells us that he promises us this, you know, and I think that some of us have overlooked that perhaps. And we expect life to um, to be easier than we find it, even though we live in probably the most um, cushioned place in history. I mean, I'm amazed that I have a bed to lie in and a roof over my head and food in the fridge that I don't have to go out and, and hunt for. I mean, the ease of our life compared to previous centuries is incredible, and yet we, we still do have hardships. And it's very important for us to learn how to, to meet those hardships and to not be defeated by them.
2: And and, and I'm saying meet those hardships in a dependent way instead of the American pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps way, which is a total myth. Um, Unless we get to the place where we can agree with Jesus that we're sheep and we need a shepherd, we won't get to access his leadership and guidance and strength in our life. It's as simple as that. Uh, The the doorway into grit is humility. It's acknowledging our own limitations and, and even embracing how Jesus described us <laughs> as a branch embedded in the vine, totally dependent on the life of the vine. <laughs> if we don't get the life of the vine, we get no fruit, um, or the sheep dependent on the good shepherd who will lay down his life for us. That's an act of humility to say, I'm going to live a dependent life. Even when I don't need to be dependent, I'm going to choose to be dependent. Um, my college daughter has often said during this pandemic time, um, She said, I I think the reason why Americans particularly are having such a hard time with this is because there's lots of other countries around the world that have present massive hardship that they've been having to deal with, and we've had it soft. Essentially, that's what she's saying. We've had it soft. And that doesn't mean, like you said, we're not experiencing hardship. um, I'm in the middle of writing a book about um, suicide right now. And the suicide epidemic it was already existent before this pandemic, and it's only been accelerated through it. Right. So why why does a Western country like the United States have the highest suicide rate in the world? If affluence and lack of need was the key to life's happiness and the antidote to suicide, well, it doesn't work. We, we, we have a living Petri dish to show that it doesn't. It, the, the, the suicide crisis is brought about. Um, our our expectations of what life is supposed to be and and how those expectations um, aren't coming true, that that's a thumbnail description yeah. of it and the kinds of narratives that we've embraced in our life. So
1: well, you know, I um, I have mentioned on this program before, but I used to work for Chuck Swindoll, and in oh yeah, a, in a conversation with him once, he told me the story about this missionary, he knew that, you know, a group of missionaries that went to this rural poor community in China and they were um, ministering to this group of people for a long time. And when it came time for them to leave the mission, the American missionary told the local uh, pastor, we will be praying for you and your community. And the pastor replied, no, we will be praying for you because affluence is harder to um, makes it harder to connect with Jesus than what we have to deal mm-hmm. with, and mm-hmm. that that story has um, stuck with me for for years because it's a pretty profound statement on affluence and how it affects our relationship with God.
2: Mm. And you could say that um, uh, I mentioned to you when we were um, uh, not recording that I love this quote that I heard. Uh, Bono of U2 say in an interview with Elvis Costello I don't remember what the question was but Bono in the middle of his answer said um, intimacy is the new punk rock (laughs) and this quote just sticks with me because what he's really saying is that this most dangerous thing punk rock was a dangerous form of music and he's saying intimacy is the new danger in our world and it's what I want to lean into is what he was trying to say and intimacy and authenticity are dangerous. Um, they're hard. And so yeah, here we are in affluent America. How, what, what, what do we lean into that's hard? We lean into authenticity and intimacy because those things are the hardest things uh, of all. We, we can live a life dependent on the grit of Jesus, If we uh, put ourselves in situations where we have to have it, (laughs) and most often we have to have it in authentic, intimate um, environments.
1: Yes. Authenticity, intimacy, the new punk rock. I think both you and I can agree that it would be a dream to dissect that statement with Bono himself.
2: (laughs) Yes. Just invite him on, Haley.
1: Yeah, let's do that. So, you know, as we uh, close out, um, I would like to hear, you know, what is your single most important piece of advice to church leaders who are trying to adapt to ministry in this new world we find ourselves in?
2: Um, I, 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 I think what I would say is uh, Jesus never wastes pain, and, because pain is, is our chief lever in life. There's nothing more powerful leveraging than pain in our life. And Jesus does not want to waste it. And what a waste would be is to come out of this time the same way you went into it. And the, uh, the way to keep that from happening is to uh, humbly lay down um, what you thought was working um, and, and begin to pick up something new. That takes guts and courage. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Change takes guts and courage, but pain is the lever that can help us get there. So let's not waste the pain. Um, Let's actually do something different that is much more relational and interactive than we have been doing. If that's what comes out of this time, it will have been um, a glorious transformation to move towards something more highly relational, experiential, and interactive. So the only way to do that is to respect the pain. Yeah. And and as part of that, lay down some of what you know, of your sacred cows and pick up a new way of doing things.
1: You know, I think that is, you know, incredible wisdom, not only for church leaders, but for, you know, Christians and people everywhere. You know, don't waste the pain. Use that as a leverage to grow into a better type of person or and adapt a better type of ministry that will fit the needs of this current culture. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, that's going to remain with me for a long time. Don't waste the pain and respect it. Rick, thank you so much for coming back to the show. I really have enjoyed having you here.
2: Thank you so much for inviting me, Haley. I really appreciate it.
1: This is Christian Curious with Dr. Haley. Send your questions and comments to Dr. Haley at drhaley at christiancurious.org. That's D-R-H-A-L-E-E at
0: christiancurious.org. Stay curious, everyone. Thank you for listening to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley. You can contact her with your comments or questions about today's show at her email, drhaley at christiancurious.org. That's D R. H-A-L-E-E at ChristianCurious.org You may also learn more by visiting the Christian Curious website ChristianCurious.org Join Dr. Haley again next week for Christian Curious on AM 670 KLTT